This is Levi Brackman with the Wisdom for Business Success podcast. I am your host, Levi Brackman. Thanks so much for joining. And I have here uh, as a guest, I have Susan Williams. Susan is the founder of Booming Encore, which is a digital media hub designed to provide baby boomers with information and inspiration to live their best Encore. Through strictly organic growth, Booming Encore has grown to become a globally recognized social media influencer and leading expert and authority for baby boomers, aging and retirement, and is ranked as one of the top baby boomer websites worldwide. Susan is also the co-author of Retirement, Heaven or Hell, Which Will You Choose? Thank you so much for joining me, Susan, and uh, really, really appreciate you being here. I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for a while. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here. So let's start off with a little bit of the background of uh, your story of how you ended up uh, going from you know your previous career to what you're doing currently. Well, thank you. Yes, it definitely has been an adventure, and I'm definitely not in a place I never thought I would be. But it just kind of shows you how life can can go. So my background actually is I spent 28 years in the corporate world. Um, I started off uh, specifically in sales and then moved into marketing um, with large corporations. Um, I moved into supply planning, distribution, and actually uh, this was with IBM at the time. So I spent 15 years there and I uh, left IBM after becoming the uh, senior manager for career and learning services. And at that time, I, uh, inter- my, myself and my team introduced the first virtual career and learning center at IBM Canada, and that was quite exciting. Um, I left IBM at that point um, to do something completely different, and I went to the Ontario government, I am in Canada, and where I was a director of technology there, um, and I had a number of different responsibilities. And one of the things I started to notice over time was I really absolutely liked change. I, I liked actually leading change. I liked, you know, leaving things better than I left them, and that's what actually propelled my career up until that point. And then I left the government, and I went into the pharmaceutical industry and spent six years there, and uh, in a number of different positions, again, back into the operations, sales, learning and development, and uh, business transformation. And then I went into the consulting world. And through my consulting work, I then uh, started working with some small and medium-sized clients, and they kept asking me about social media. What's the social media thing? And at that time, I knew very little about social media. To be quite honest, I don't even think I had a Facebook account. And uh, so I thought the best way for me to learn, because I was such an experiential learner, was to learn through doing. And so at that point, I decided, okay, I'm going to go into the social media world, and then I had to think about what am I going to actually write about. And because I was in sort of a major career transition at that point of my career, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And I went looking for resources to help people, sort of a 50-plus age group, as to what they could do with this life transition. Because we're now looking at, you know, a much longer life, and I I was in a bit of a transition mode myself. And I couldn't really find what I was looking for. So at that point, I thought, okay, here's a topic that interests me, one. And two, I could actually learn through doing. And so at that time, I actually launched Booming Encore. And that's going back almost close to nine years ago. And so here we are today. I'm uh, still out there actively learning as I'm doing and, uh, you know, helping to share a lot of the things that we learn. And as a result, I've met some amazing people all doing really interesting things at this time of life. 
and uh, contributors that are great subject matter experts on all the different aspects as it relates to aging and health and, and encore careers and all of those sort of things. And, and so that's how I ended up here. So what does Booming Encore exactly do? What, what? Well, Booming Encore is a digital media hub, as you mentioned, and it basically shares information and inspiration to help baby boomers live their best encore. And so that covers everything from um, health and wellness to aging in place to changing relationships. Um, we dabble in travel. We dabble in um, a number of different topics that are of interest to baby boomers. And specifically, anyone really at 50 age plus is more of our target audience. And we just share the aspects of the non-financial aspects of retirement planning. And that's really also what the book is represented as well. It's that we spend so much time thinking about the financial aspects of retirement planning, but very little time actually thinking about the non-financial aspects of retirement. And that's what we spend a lot of our time on our website and through our social media channels sharing that so that people can start to think about this next stage of their life. Because retirement used to be, you know, 10, 15 years sort of on average. We're now looking at 20 to 30 years. That's a lot of time that you just can't spend sitting around. I mean, you'll go absolutely, you know, crazy with nothing to do. So we try and help people find, figure out what, what it is they want to actually fill that, this next stage of their life with. It, you know, it's, it's really interesting that um, uh, you've, you mentioned that retirement shouldn't just be about um, the financial aspects of it. You also need to think about what you're actually going to do with your life. And, but that's true for everything, right? It's true for business. It's true for uh, it's true for one's life. Uh, it's true for one's career. It's true for everything. Uh, we we get so focused in the finances of things that we forget that you know there are lots of other things to life more than just finances once you've got the finances right you know all the rest also needs to be right in order to be able to lead a healthy and wholesome life and and that includes a, a lot of spirituality as well um and, and and often the two come together right if you have you know if you have the financials but you don't have the other part of it you know your financials might also suffer so how is it that you came to that conclusion like what? What is it? I, I think that in itself is a lot of wisdom. How did you, you know, what brought you to that conclusion that you need to help people figure this piece out? I think it was through my own sort of struggle. At that point, I started going, "Have I really thought about what I plan to do in retirement?" And in actual fact, I'm even questioning the word retirement. The definition of it alone is not very positive. It talks about withdrawing. It talks about stopping. It talks. It's got a very negative connotation. When mm-hmm. in actual fact. You take a look at the talent that this this particular um, group of people is for, you know, heading towards this this uh, retirement goal line, and it's like, what are all these people going to do? It's it, the average person, I believe, you know, the average retiree watches something like 42 hours a week of television. I mean, that's an enormous amount of time sat in front of a television. Can you imagine if we were actually to? That's like a full-time job. Uh, yeah, more than a full-time exactly, job. In some ways, more. I think it, it, I think I'm being conservative on that. I can't quote the number exactly, but it's like definitely a full-time job worth. And you think about it, if we were actually able to engage all that talent and engage it in you know things that could actually help us, or and it's also showing that the um, people that are staying engaged longer in life have a healthier life and they live longer as well because there's a purpose to it. There's a reason to get up in the morning. There's a reason for what you're going to do that day. 
and especially if we could engage it in, in you know, positive ways, and that's really what we try and promote. And so it was my own sort of questioning, what am I going to do next, that actually ended up you know, leading me down this path. Do you know an observation that I've had, which um, I've questioned, you know, I, I, I end up meeting a lot of different people in my business. And what I'm finding is that nowadays, most of the people who I talk to are younger than me or around my age. You know, I'm in, you know, early 40s. And it used to be that most of the people I was meeting in business were older than me. What happened to all the older people? You know, I wonder if that, if, if um, this is just me or just my uh, lived experience in business or has there been, you know, a certain type of ageism which has taken place in the in, 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 in the world, which means that the older people are no longer really engaged in the same way that they were once upon a time? I, I don't know. Yeah. Did, tell me, yeah. am, well, am I, yeah, is there something ageism, here? Yeah, ageism is definitely a major factor. It's one of the, the few forms of discrimination that's still, you know, somewhat accepted. Um, in a lot of ways, and, and it's embedded in a lot of the systems even. So, for instance, I was reading an article just the other day, and they're saying that a lot of the search engines, for instance, automatically um, weed out an older person for if they're applying for work. So when you had ageism actually in the, in the, in the companies, where they're, you know, possibly skinning down their workforce, and often they'll target an older workforce, and then you also have then the older people trying to get back into the workforce, and then you've got they're facing ageism as it, as it is as well. Now the thing is, all of this has happened, uh, you know, especially over COVID, and a lot of older workers ended up exiting, some through choice, and a lot by not through not by choice. Um, but we're starting to see the pendulum slowly starting to shift, as there's going to be a major labor shortage shortly. And so, you know, as they move these people out, all of a sudden they're going to be, you know, possibly needed because we don't have the, the resources to necessarily backfill all these spaces that, that are being left. So so it, this isn't just my observation is what you're saying. This is a real thing. Oh, ageism in the workplace? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so as people, you know, if you're, if you're 50 years old, you might be into a, somewhat of a forced retirement early or in your 50s. Exactly. And that's what's ended up happening. I mean, that's and that's why... I wrote, you know, I, I wrote an article specifically saying, can we call it retirement when it's forced? If someone's not choosing to retire and they're being, quote, pushed out the door because they're in that sort of window, is that chosen retirement or is, is that really just being laid off or, or fired? But is there something to this that, you know, after doing something for, for many years that there needs to be new blood and that new blood doesn't necessarily have to be a new person. It could be, you know, we all get, we all need variety. You know, I have a favorite expression, which I like to say, is that you get one life to live, but you should live as many lifetimes as possible during that one lifetime. And, and, and I wonder, like, how much is it that, you know, the old idea that you, you should have one career and one profession for your life, you do that for 20 years, you're either incredibly talented at it and incredibly good at it, the best in the world, or you're just burnt out and you ought to find something different to do. I wonder, like, how much of that contributes towards it. I think so. I think there's a there is a responsibility that each of us have, and that's related to you know managing our own skills and, and capabilities. 
Um, you know, for instance, I see a new employment model starting to emerge. So if you take a look back over the, like many, many years ago, um, people were actually, they, they wanted to work for themselves back in the 1920s, 1930s. It was because um, big companies actually need to hire them that they started to actually try and incent people to come into organizations. And the one thing that they were sort of offering at that time was, quote, this idea of job security. Mm -hmm. Well, over time, I mean, if we've seen, you know, unions actually help protect the workers' rights and whatever way you regard unions, I mean, at least that's what they were doing. But we also then started to see that companies are now very much focused on satisfying shareholders. And as a result, you know, the, the commitment to employees is often, you know, being challenged and you see massive layoffs or, or, or jobs going elsewhere, that sort of thing. And so I think we've seen the pendulum start to shift. But what I've also started to, to see is that people are now starting to take control of their own career and professional um, livelihood, if you want to call it that, and recognizing that their skills and their talents and their reputation are becoming what is going to you know, allow them to, one, find the work that they want and to keep the work that they want. But it's continually evolving. The world is evolving, and to actually think that you're going to you know, go and join a company now for, you know, 20 or 30 years. I mean, that's almost, un well, it is pretty much now unheard of. You know, the average person, I can't remember, I think it's something like the average person is going to have six or seven different careers within their lifetime. And, and that's not, you know, unsurprising. And it's probably a good thing because you're right, it does keep you moving, it keeps you learning, and it keeps you contributing. Because otherwise you're going to get bored. And I think that's what often has happened in a lot of people's cases. You know, you get, you get into a job, you get doing the same thing, you've got bills to pay, kids to raise, you know, all of that sort of thing, and you get into this sort of comfortable spot, but as things start to move around you, if you're not willing to move with it, it leaves you, you know, exposed and at risk. Yeah, I, I, think, I think, therefore, you know, the wisdom that you found in that you need to kind of help people figure out what they're going to do in their retirement, actually, you know, I, I came across this thing... <laughs> I was talking to somebody, I can't remember, I think it was in Melbourne, Australia, and I went into the Apple store and I got talking to somebody in the Apple store and it was a young lady and she basically said that she was having a, what do they call it, a quarter life crisis, she was calling it. Yeah. You know, you have a midlife crisis <laughs> and she, yeah. she called it a quarter life crisis, right? And, and she was trying to, she, she graduated college and now she's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And I think that these, because these of the change in the workforce or like you mentioned you know the multiple careers that people have there's potential for multiple crises to figure out okay so what am i going to do next these transitions that take place how do i reinvent myself so to speak in the next transition and so i see this encore career concept is not just encore for when people hit 65 or their 50s or their boomers but also for um you know people who are who, who are uh, much younger and, and hitting some yeah. kind of transition. And that's why I think, I think there's going to be actually more opportunities. Um, you know, we've got this sort of linear lifeline, as we call it. You know, you go to school for X number of years, you graduate, you get a job for X number of years, and then you retire in that X number of years, and that's sort of a life as we have, quote, envisioned it today. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually going to do a significant shift. I think you're going to see people working and taking possibly a sabbatical then to going back to school and retooling or re, you know, reskilling themselves and then coming back and doing something else. And this is where I can then start to see the whole concept of retirement slowly 
evolving and, and disappearing and it becomes more of a melding of different um, life activities that involve work, life, family. It doesn't mm -hmm. become a work-life balance anymore. It becomes a life balance and it, it becomes part of how we actually evolve ourselves and you know, come to the realization that life doesn't have you know, a particular well-defined start and stops. I mean, 65 does not mean that you retire. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, or or you need to be working at the age of you know thirty, and that's going to be a career for in that particular field for X number of years. You know, I think it's going to be much more fluid, and we're going to have to be much more flexible and and to to use the, the word resilient mm -hmm. because the changes are coming much faster. And in order to be able to actually you know find yourself where you are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Uh, and and be prepared that you know things aren't going to be, you know, always the same. And we need to have that flexibility. Okay, so this is in a sense your uncore career yourself, or would you would you say so? Yes, absolutely. I think I'm living my my encore career in the sense that I'm well one, this is not something that I had ever thought I would be doing. But you know, the fact that I'm you know, I'm active in social media, the fact that I'm actually writing, the fact that I'm doing interviews, the fact that I'm, uh, you know, working with other people to develop content, um, you know, managing a website, all of this was not part of my previous experience. But I think that's one of the key lessons here is that we all need to be flexible and go where, you know, the opportunities may be. And when I look back, in actual fact, as much as this is not part of my direct experience, it is indirectly. So for instance, I used to do a lot of presenting, I used to do a lot of communications, I used to do a lot of technology um, activities. So all of those particular skills are coming into play. It's just it's being packaged differently. Mm -hmm. And it's being packaged as it relates to what's needed today versus what it was used back then, but the aptitudes are the same. So you now, you're a business owner, this is your own business, mm -hmm. and prior to that you you worked for many years in in corporations, large corporations. I mean, IBM, it doesn't get bigger than that, really. Uh, I mean, it does. <laughs> yes, they were all fairly large organizations, absolutely. Yeah. So so there must be some transferable lessons that you've learned that uh, um, for from, you know, have, having had experience now in the corporation and running your own business. What are the things that you would say are the most important things that you need to have for success in either of those settings, well, based on your experience? Thing, yeah, well, based on my experience, I think the first thing, and I think we've, we've touched on this, is just to you know, stay curious and keep learning. Like, be willing to learn something new and, and be curious around what's going on in the business world and how does that going to potentially affect you today and tomorrow and what do you need to do in order to you know, keep pace. Because what I'm seeing is often the people that feel out of control are the ones that aren't actually taking control of their own personal learning and professional development. And they're dependent on a company to direct them. I think at this point, and especially what I'm seeing sort of happening out there now, everybody is sort of kind of becoming their own business in, in a way, as I mentioned earlier. It's about building your personal brand and your, your, that's through your, your skills, your relationships, your network. Um, it's through how you actually communicate and present yourself, it's through your reputation. All of those things are what will make you know, yourself, along with your skills and your interests, what 
you know, employers or slash even in your own business, you know, what's going to actually keep you and sustain you long term. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing, that, and, and I watch, the other thing that I watch quite carefully is just how people interact. Um, I mean, we've seen so much negativity out there, and I just, I, I just don't understand it because, quite honestly, if I was to say, who would you rather work with? Um, somebody who's nice or somebody who's mean? I mean, what would you answer? Uh, no one wants to work with mean people. Exactly. Yet, yeah. some somehow we seem to sometimes celebrate that. I mean, you see it in the reality TV shows all the time. I mean, these people that are really nasty and they're yelling at people and you know are causing them to cry. And I'm going, okay, one, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, everybody would much rather work with somebody who's nice. Now, that's not to be confused with being a pushover. I think mm -hmm. we still need to stand up for you know what you believe in is right. And I always say, I mean, debate is always good as long as the intentions are are good. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it's not to say that you, you just, to be nice, you have to give in to everything. I think you still need to have your principles and your values and you stand up for what you believe in. But how you do that in a kind, respectful, empathetic way, mm -hmm. I think is, is so important and even more important today because we just, as I've said in social media, we just see how nasty people can be. And I just, I think we need to return back to, you know, the civility of working together you know, not necessarily, it's, we're moving to a very collaborative world. Competition, yes, it's there, but how we actually compete doesn't have to be mean. It can be very yeah. respectful. And oh. I think we need, to, we need to sort of return to that. Yeah. Um, and, and call people on it and say, no, that is not acceptable behavior. And I'm not going to put up with that. You know, and I think that, that, that that's becoming a very critical thing that I wouldn't have ever thought I might have had to mention before, but I actually see it becoming more of an issue today than it was ever in my in my you know 30 plus year career yeah, i mean there's the no doubt there's no doubt about ahead? no there's no doubt about that um uh that that you know I, I think even once upon a time people were nastier than they are today it was more acceptable today it's become a lot less acceptable to be nasty i think you know once upon a time you know you were shouting at your employees or shouting at people was just kind of the way a lot of people did business today it's a lot less acceptable it doesn't mean that people aren't nasty it's just you know people it's just not acceptable uh to to speak certain yeah, ways but to I think people and maybe i think it may be manifesting itself in different ways so maybe not yelling but mm -hmm. either uh, you know not being kind maybe is a better way to say it or or being overly demanding or expectations i i would hope that that's the case but i think what we're actually seeing play out as I said, at least in the um, in the um, uh, social media arena or on television shows where you know you've got people working for each other and they're kind of yelling and you know I mean that's where I'm I'm, I'm thinking we need to kind of need to kind of calm that down. Yeah, it. So I want to go back to what you're saying about you know life. Either I I think if I was able to kind of uh, take what you were saying and summarize it, you know, either life happens to you. Life doesn't stop, right? It's either going to happen to you mm -hmm. or you're going to make it happen. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the wisdom I think you were trying to share in some sense. And if you don't keep learning and you don't keep growing and you don't keep up with what's going on out there, that doesn't stop. And then life will happen to you rather than you making life happen. And, yeah, and I think... Sorry, go ahead. 
No, I, I was just what, what I'm saying is I think that that's a a very interesting lesson, and and um, so ha- I'm just trying to think about how to operationalize that. You know, it because it's very nice to say yes, just keep learning, but then where do I start? Do I Google things? You know, where, where <laughs> how do you operationalize that for someone who's listening? How do you actually make life happen? Because I think a lot of people are challenged by this. You know, where, where do I start? What do I do? You know, it's easy to go out there and apply for jobs, but then how do I make life happen for me? Well, I think that's the thing, though. I mean, there is so much information out there, and the biggest challenge is distilling it down to what do I actually do with all this information? So, for instance, you were mentioning, like, job posting. So if there's a particular area that you're interested in, take a look at what people are looking for from a skills perspective and challenge yourself and say, okay, do I have these skills to be able to do this? Because employers are now expecting to hire people and have them automatically be productive. Previously, companies used to hire people and then they would actually do all the training. Like, there's definitely some onboarding done by companies, but the actual skill sets that they're now advertising for hire, they're expecting people are going to come in the door with. So I think people need to educate themselves around, okay, what what are people looking for? What type of skills are they looking for? Where can I get these skills? How can I develop it? Possibly working with somebody who's already got that skill set to understand how did they develop theirs and is there a model there that they can follow? And then actually going out and developing it and then finding opportunities where you can you know, further test and hone your skills, whether it's you know, doing some volunteer work even necessarily or some part-time work or something along those lines to actually develop that skill set so that when you actually write it down on your resume, you have the confidence that you actually have those, those skills that you're saying you do. Mm-hmm. So, how does um, how does passion and purpose fit into uh, you know we'll talk uncore career, but it could be you know transitional careers or the next stage of one's career. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's critical for everybody to be able to answer you know th- those questions. Now, I always lean much more onto purpose. Like passion is great, but passion in my mind doesn't necessarily always pay the bills. So, I mean, you've got to kind of try and watch the, that sort of aspect. Ideally, if you combine the two, that's fabulous. But really, what is your purpose? Like, What's what the difference between it? passion and purpose, do you think? Pa- uh, well, purpose to me means the reason you're doing what you do. It, it is the actual essence of what do you actually give back to the world. Passion is something that you truly enjoy. It brings joy to your life. And not to say that your purpose can't bring joy to your life, The passion... For instance, I may have a passion to be an artist, but I may not be able to make a living at it because I'm just not very good at it. So you think you can be Um, passionate about something you're not competent? Exactly. And I think that's where sometimes people get a little confused versus maybe my purpose, though, is I love art so much, but I'm a great, you know, organizer or leaders or whatever so I'm going to actually go and find I'm going to go feel my passion in an art gallery and actually work there as a a curator so I'm going to train myself to become an art curator or whatever I'm just using that as an example so it's kind of I'm now my purpose is you know aligned to my passion but I I may not be able to actually live or, or earn a living at my passion but it's somehow integrated so You think you can have purpose without passion around that purpose? Interesting. I, uh, I don't know if I think you have to have 
some level of passion or whether it's a level of passion, interest, curiosity, something that's going to keep you motivated. But I think sometimes this is where people get often get disillusioned because let's say, uh, you know, I wanted to be a rock star or, you know, I, it's something in the creative arts or, um, I mean, it's a, it's a very long road in a lot of cases. I mean, you hear, about, you hear about these midnight, I mean, sorry, these overnight successes, but often it's like, you know, years and years and years in the making. So that takes a tremendous amount of commitment. And I'm not saying people don't do that. I'm just saying you just have to be, be aware that are you ready for that level of commitment for something? If, if the feasibility of it or the odds are, you know, if I'm, I want to be a pro golfer, for instance, I, 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 there's no way I could have a passion for golf, but I may, and I may not have the capability to actually reach a level that somebody's going to actually pay me to play golf. But right. I, that's why I'm saying if you can take your passion and then maybe move it to, but I could become, uh, you know, a, a representative, a, a legal representative for, for uh, a pro golf players. So it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I studied this. I spent 10 years studying uh, passion and purpose, mainly meaning and purpose. But passion was something which I also studied. And, and usually, you know, if someone has a passion for golf, it's not usually the golf itself that they're passionate about. It's something about playing golf, which they mm-hmm. love. You know, whether it's the precision of the movements and they're very, they've got good hand-eye coordination, they love being able to uh, uh, use that, or they have... Um, you know, they have a very competitive nature or there's a social aspect of it. There's something about it that they love and that gives them the passion for golf. Um, And then they can then, if they're able to figure out what those things are, they can then parlay those into something else, right? So it's never really a passion for the thing itself. An example I give is people say they love traveling, but then when you break it down, you ask them, well, do you really love standing in security at the airport? And then sitting on a plane, you know, basically a tin tube for four, five, mm-hmm. six hours, squash next to somebody else, then getting off and you're tired and, you know, take off in the landing sometimes and the turbulence. Do you really love that? And they're like, no, I hate that. So, well, then what do you mean you love traveling? Well, there are aspects about going to a new place, having new experiences, spending time with friends, with family, etc., that they love and they call that traveling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a similar kind of way, um, they, you know, the idea of, of passion and purpose, you know, people say they have a passion for golf or they have a passion to become a rock star. First of all, most people don't know what it means to be a rock star. So, I mean, that's very hard because <laughs> they've never been it. Uh, but, but like for, for golf, that's a good example. There's something about golf, which they love, which probably exists in a lot of other activities too, which might be much more realistic for them to become very successful at. So, exactly, uh, and I think, I, but I think sometimes we just say, "Oh, follow your passion," and it looks yeah. great on you know those those memes or whatever that's it, you know. Yeah. You know, but the reality is, it, it it follow the passion that will pay for the bills too. I mean, there is that aspect of it. So I agree with you. I think if you can actually take a look at what you're passionate about, and then assess the feasibility of actually, you know, are you going to be able to make a living from it? If yes, then, you know, go ahead. If no, then what is it? Like you said, what is it about that passion? And how can it be transferred into a way that would then actually turn into a purpose that somebody would actually then be willing to, to purchase? It sounds like you may have had some conversations with some teenagers in your life around this. 
I've had uh, actually I've had quite a couple, uh, quite a number of conversations with my own two adult children about this, and and actually my son is the one that really kind of opened up my my eyes to a certain degree because his view of career was so totally different than mine was at his age, in that he actually is trying to develop numerous forms of cash flow so that he can actually then do his work in, in whatever field or um, uh, you know area that he wants to pursue because he feels confident that he's got a number of different areas that are going to be able to fund him to be able to actually do that so he's not going to be necessarily tied to one thing because as, as you know when you start life and then you start having children and you, you purchase a home and bills and all of those sort of things start to come in I mean you are dependent at that point on a paycheck and so he wants to make sure he's got multiple ways of actually getting that so that he can then have much more flexibility in choosing what he actually wants to do for his living well I mean it, it, the, I think that's very smart I mean you know multiple streams of income and uh, uh, th that that allows you the freedom really what money you really want money in order to give yourself freedom to be able to do the exactly. things you really love and uh, as long as what you're selling is your time then you unless you you're able to kind of earn a lot of money from the thing you love which happens to be your time but it's interesting because self-determination theory basically posits and shows that the second you get paid for something you're passionate about you lose passion over it so mm. it's kind of these it's yeah. kind of this really weird kind of uh contradiction that we have that on the one hand we're passionate about it but then when we do it for a living we stop we lose our passion so well i think but but could this play into it because i'm thinking about it because so often people say oh take your hobby and make a living from it but then yeah. people lose interest in their hobbies yeah but it's all of a sudden it's it's no longer just for the joy of doing that exactly. activity all of a sudden somebody else has got expectations of you and that activity that you're doing yeah and, and expectations of, of excellence is no longer just for yourself now you're having to to sort of comply potentially to what other people's expectations of that thing that you absolutely love and enjoy doing yeah pr precisely so i mean when you think about encore careers do you think about that in the same way that you're trying to help them make a living or they've got the financial thing already set because they've already you know they they have a retirement account yeah, and that's an excellent question, and I think the point gets back to what you what you identified earlier, which is your financial independence. Because there are some people that are you know ha have found their way to become financially independent, and then they have the flexibility to choose what it is that they want to do. And so we offer a number of different options or ideas on what they can actually do with that time, whether it be um, you know volunteer work or you know pursuing you know some goal that they've always had and never you know and, and pulling it out again and, and actually taking a look at it to actually you know be consulting or doing gig work or whatever I mean that's where they have the options and that's sort of one set but unfortunately there's a lot of other people that actually have to work I mean to be able to fund mm -hmm. a 20 to 30 year retirement um, you know we saw the erosion of uh, you know move from DB plans to DC plans to now people not even having necessarily pension plans um, you know, so that ability to be able to fund a 20 to 30 year retirement is for many people not even um, an option. They're going to have to keep working. And so the choices at that point become a little slimmer because they don't necessarily have the flexibility. But we also try to say, but go back to what it is that really interests you. So you do try and find something, you know, that you're going to enjoy. If you're going to have to work, then try and find something that you're going to enjoy. And at least it doesn't seem, you know, 
as uh, uh, tumultuous or, or as unenjoyable as uh, you know something that, that you want to keep doing and that you can actually enjoy doing while you're doing it. So, so your son and, and multiple other young people I know are trying to set themselves up for retirement in their 30s. Because, you know, if you're able to set yourself up, you have multiple streams of income and you're not tied to a 95 job in order to be able to pay your bills, then you really live your life in retirement. I mean, and as you mentioned, the actual name retirement doesn't really mean anything. It's, just, it's actually it, it a misnomer. And that's where, yeah, we're starting to shift already to say becoming financially independent so that you yeah. can make, make the choices that you want. But then that, that applies to every single part of life, every single stage in life, not just to when you're looking to the next stage as you hit 50 or 55 or 60. Uh, and, and, exactly. And, and I think that, that's a new model that we're moving to. I truly do. I, I mean, I think we will see the day in, you know, in the not so distant future where retirement will become not something that is sort of this line in the sand. Mm-hmm. It's going, uh, like, uh, one of the great stories I, I often cite is I remember we were on holidays once and we ran into a dentist and we were down there and at the time we had young kids, both my husband and I were working full time, and he was working three days a week. And he said that way he could actually, you know, really make sure that he was home and enjoying his kids while they were young. And he planned on easily working, in, you know, easily working into his 70s, 75s. I mean, he wasn't, he was extending his life career longer so that he could actually space out you know, his his actual life and time with his family. Mm-hmm. So the way we've got it constructed now, I mean, you know, you start working and then you start kind of climbing up the, 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 the corporate ladder or whatever. I mean, that's usually when you start having kids and they're young and they need a lot of attention, but you're working, you know, X number of hours and you're exhausted. You know, we've kind of got our life model a little kind of mixed up. And so I think people are starting to step back and I think COVID actually has done this to a large degree as well and reprioritize, okay, what's really important here? Where do I really want to spend my time and how do I want to spend my time and what am I willing to do and what am I willing not to do? And I and, think we're starting to see And with who, right, as well. I'm sorry? And who you're willing to do it with. Do you really want to spend time with a boss who's doesn't understand or is not appreciative or just, you know, or, or with colleagues like that? So it's also who you want to do it with, um, which is a big aspect of one's quality of life. I think that's where entrepreneur entrepreneurialism really kind of kicks in. People become entrepreneurs because they want to uh, they want to have their own independence. They they want to live their own lives. They they don't mm-hmm. want to have to uh, live to somebody else's drumbeat. But I think it's a you know, I keep going back to operationalizing things because I think these are very nice ideals to have. A lot of people ask themselves, okay, how do I start? What, what do I do? And, you know, you mentioned that the commitment that it takes. Well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to create multiple streams of income where at the age of 35 you have, you know, all this income coming in and you don't have to have a nine-to-five job, I mean, that takes a lot of work and commitment. You know, you're not going out... You can't, and you can't drive that, you know, Mercedes as soon as you get, you know, some kind of income. And you can't spend it all because you're going to have to build up, you know, and put it aside and invest and etc. I mean, it takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, how to operationalize that is, is very, very challenging for a lot of people. It is. And I think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head in the sense that it's taking away the immediate gratification for long-term gain. I mean, and are you really willing to, you know, like you said, not get that brand new car and not, you know, 
get those designer clothes for right now, but actually I'm going to put that money away or I'm going to invest it or I'm going to buy real estate or, or rental incomes or, or I'm going to start that gig, uh, that gig company on the side that I'm going to do on weekends. So it's going to take time. So I mean, it, to get to that point, it is definitely going to take time, energy and resources. And are you willing to do that? And that's a key question. And I think that's what stops a lot of people. They talk about it, but actually mm -hmm. doing it and the commitment to actually do it is what makes a difference. I think that's a key piece of wisdom I think we can take from this uh, as we wrap up here. And that is that basically if you all things that are really worthwhile, um, they take tremendous amount of commitment and, uh, and discipline. And, you know, if you really want to, it's whichever way you do it is hard. Working for someone else nine to five and living, uh, you know, having life happen to you or living according to someone else's drumbeat is hard. Living according to your own drumbeat and getting to a place where you can actually do that is hard. You know, which one, which, which, they, as they say, choose your heart. Which one do you want to go for? Um, and the wisdom is that, you know, if you're able to kind of have that self-discipline, determination, and focus, you can get a better, a better life ahead of you. Uh, so yeah, I want to... And also put away, put away the phones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can spend a lot of time sitting on a phone, you know, scrolling through all the social media out there and that question. And, you know, and I, I'll often say, and that's what I notice with my kids, they'll, they'll do that, but mm -hmm. then they're focused on doing other things. Well, hopefully they pick up their phone and open a open a podcast uh, uh, app and then listen to this podcast instead. So, there you go. <laughs> so Susan, I've really appreciated you joining uh, me for this, uh, for this podcast, the Wisdom for Business Success podcast. Um, do you want to give your website for anyone who's listening making, and how they can can, uh, contact you or get in touch or learn more? Certainly. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Um, and uh, you can reach uh, me at boomingencore.com or info at boomingencore.com. Um, happy to, to hear from anybody, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share what I've learned over the years. Well, I appreciate you joining. And again, this is the Wisdom for Business Success podcast with Levy Brackman. We have been talking for the last uh, uh, 40 minutes or so with uh, Susan Williams. Thank you, Susan, for joining, and uh, we look forward to being in touch.